HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live, but on a telephone, somewhere in Bushwick, Brooklyn, uh, on the Heritage Radio Network. My uh, train went out of service, so we're doing a... Uh, Stasi you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, we're, we're doing a... Do you remember that video for, uh, uh, that Bruce Springsteen did for the uh, streets of Philadelphia? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, streets of Philadelphia, walking around doing all that's that. That's, that's what I feel like now. Though. Only Philadelphia doesn't have an elevated railway that's going to drown out any noise that I can make. Like, how much background noise is there, for real? Just a little bit of wind. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that always my big old talk, iPhone yeah. uh, 6 Plus is like, you know, it's like a billboard. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's trying to shield me from the wind. Like, I try to get off the main drag here, maybe be a little quieter. All right. So, Stas, we're going to have to do a little bit uh, not what we normally do. You can still call your questions at 2 7 That's 7-1-8-4-9-7-2-1-2-8. How you doing over there, Jack? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, we have the, the chat room, too, so I'm able to actually communicate with people directly. Nice. And, uh, and by the way, you want to tell everyone, well, uh, what we're walking to today is the beginning of the live the live tweet-a-thon madness, at least for cooking issues. You've been live for a couple of days yep. in general, but you want to explain how that, how that crud works? Yeah, I think if you're tuning in live right now, you can see the chat room. I've got uh, a bunch of people in here now chatting with me. Uh, they say that the L train is the enemy of quality, but they... He wasn't on the L. wasn't the L, yeah. It was what? Yeah, the, the I was J, on right? the JMZ line, yeah. wherever they call that thing now. The L is the enemy of quality. Yeah. It's just, it was one of those things where like the, the train had a problem, and so... Stasi, anyone who lives in New York is familiar with this. The train's already extremely late, and it stopped all the other trains from going, but they don't take it out of service as soon as they have a problem. Instead, they make the train be 15 minutes late, and then they pull it out of service so that you're a half hour late. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. My favorite, my favorite people, uh, which is why uh, Emmanuel Kant never went more than two miles away from his house. I like This that. is why he never visited the mountains. You know why? He, he once went on a carriage ride. You know, the famous philosopher. Who's, by the way, like a, a complete nutbag and a weirdo. 
but uh, he, this is what people read, people read these people's uh, works today, and they're like, you know, they, they, they know, never take the time to realize that these people were freaking lunatics. So he takes a carriage ride one day, and there's a problem with the carriage. Like, the, uh, you know, the axle breaks or something, I forget exactly what happened. And he is late for an appointment. So he jots down in his book, uh, don't take carriage rides. They might make you wait for appointments. And so the guy never, like, left within a couple of miles of his house. Freaking weirdo. And yet people for hundreds of years are like, this is the person I should base, like, how, you know, what, what I think about thought on? A freaking, like, clear loony bin? You know what I'm saying? Anyways, uh, I don't want to get any... I don't want to get any hate down from philosopher people, but he's, I never really enjoyed reading Kant. Do you guys ever have to read that stuff? No. What was his big no. point? Uh, <laughs> well, it's kind of a big, dense, like, uh, uh, well, it's a big, dense kind of school of thought. We'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into some of that. We should probably get to some questions. Oh, before we do that, um, there's something else that we had to talk about. No, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay. So, Stas, uh, you got the questions up or no? No. Well, get the questions up. Remember back when I said you're going to read the questions? No, you never said that. I did. Remember I said we're going to do it differently today? Nastasha's going to read. Oh, you weren't listening. Jack, do you have the, does anyone have the questions up? There was a question on... <laughs> did you get uh, that email, Jack? What? You didn't there was a question on Mastika, Mastika there, uh, but I can't look at it because the only instrument that I would have to look at the question is currently against my ear That's true. as I'm uh, talking. I do have a question from Josh Weinstein about enzyme soak. Uh, he's, do it. Yeah, he says in episode 112, Dave said he now prefers a half-inch fry. The enzyme soak was originally uh, 25C one hour. What time and temperature does Dave Arnold now use for his enzyme soak? Same. The reason I like uh, the bigger fry is because, okay, it's the same basic uh, procedure with the exception that uh, the larger fry might actually require some dry time, whereas the uh, thinner fries didn't require a lot of drying. Remember, French fry, like good French fry uh, work, is all about um, managing moisture, right? So you have the main problem with uh, French fries is either there's too much moisture in the center and you haven't developed a good enough crust. And if you haven't developed a good enough crust, they go soggy. Conversely, if you focus all of your energy on a super good crust, uh, you can create what we call the hollow fry. So it's like super crunchy on the outside, but hollow in the middle. So what you want to do, it's a very difficult balancing act. And the enzyme soak is one of the things you can do to um, kind of skew that balancing act in your favor. Now, because we've in you know, my opinion, gotten um, successful enough uh, with the French fry recipe that you could have both a good exterior and interior. I then wanted to up the amount of interior that was there because the whole French fry was enjoyable, right? Whereas if really all you can do is make a good crust and anything on the interior is just messing up your fry, well, then you go thinner, right? Which is why people make those shoestring fries, which, by the way, I don't like. I mean, I like them. I don't like them. You guys like shoestring fries? No. I don't mind them. You don't mind about it. Are you like... No. Let me ask you a question. If, yeah, no. 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 Definitely not. You don't. No, no, no. No. They're either going to... Usually, poorly done shoestring fries are either greasy or just, like, fried crunchies. Right. No, no, no. I'm not insulting a fried crunchy, by the way. I like a fried crunchy. But, um, anyways. So, I think, in general, uh, the larger fries are also technically more uh, interesting to tackle. Uh, I don't like the giant, giant fries, though. 
like those giant, like, I don't like those giant fries. You guys like those? No, I'm not really no. a fan of them. No. Anyway, so the answer is uh, the same. But you might need a little dry time uh, to get a little more moisture out than you would if you were using a uh, 3 8 uh, uh, inch fry. Is that a, was that a good answer? Did I answer that? I think you got it. Uh, this, is an e- right. this is an easy one I got from Joan Zuckerberg. Is there a culinary book which Dave Arnold would recommend above all others? Well, of course you should buy Liquid Intelligence simply for its use as a coaster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I buy, like, huh, I don't buy books um, because I'm going to use them for recipes usually. I usually buy books because I really um, want to see somebody's point of view. Sometimes I'll get them for, uh, you know, like a specific culture, learn about a specific culture. Um, so it's kind of tough. It's like if you ask me a particular area, then I'm like, oh, you got to get that book. If you're interested in sauces, like even though it's, you know, very old at this point, you should go pick up a copy of uh, Peterson's uh, sauce book because it was seminal. Now, would I say that's the first cookbook you should go buy? No, but if I was doing uh, sauces, it's also really interesting. I like old books because they're a window into uh, somebody else's, uh, like a different a different time, a different frame set. So you look at those recipes in that book, for instance, and there's a lot of reduced cream sauces because that was very in vogue then, and it can give you kind of a slice of what was happening uh, at a particular time. Okay, this style. It's like name a type of cookbook. I'll tell you what I like. Um, you like Harold McGee's? Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, okay. I mean, you got to go buy on food and cooking. You need to own that. That's like saying, you know. Do you breathe? You know, do you buy liquids? You know what I mean? But, like, I mean, like, cookbooks. Like, like what style? Italian. Ooh, that's interesting. What do you like for Italian stuff? I don't. Do, do you <laughs> <like>? <laughs> oh, God. Do you love Italian food? You I know. Like Italian I, I, cookbooks? I, I, don't use, I don't use a cookbook, no. You don't like to read cookbooks, right? Because you don't care what people think about things, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I used to really enjoy, uh, when I was starting, to, you know, cook seriously like, you know, 25 uh, or so years ago, uh, Giuliano Bujali's books, because he's such a nut on uh, what he thinks is authentic and what he's not. He's like classic, like old school, northern Italian, uh, where like if it deviates even slightly from what he considers to be authentic, it's crap. And although I don't cook that way, I think it's kind of hilarious to like to read a book that's written from that perspective. So I like, ooh, the cement truck is coming by, the one that always tries to kill me on my bicycle. Are you walking um, toward here, or are you... Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to show up in the studio at some point, at which point I will be able to read the questions off of my phone. Uh, so I like his stuff for that. Uh, I really liked, uh, and I don't know whether it's still dated or anyone reads it, I liked Cooking by Hand, Bertoli's book, because it was the first book that I had that you know went through the procedures uh, pretty in-depth for curing. This is way before... Uh, the charcuterie books came out. Uh, it went through the production of uh, balsamic vinegars. It went through a bunch of stuff. I thought it was a really good book. But I don't know if people read it anymore. I mean, I like some of the old classics, like, uh, you know, my, the first uh, cookbook that someone bought me uh, to cook out of was uh, Julia Child's uh, Way to Cook, which I like. I like uh, Jacques Pepin. We call him Jackie Peeps. But I like Jacques Pepin's. Uh, he has a two-volume color work that was put out by uh, Knopf back when they didn't know any better that literally shows you how to skin a baby lamb. So obviously it went out of print very quickly because 
no American back in the you know late 70s or 80s, whatever it was, uh, wanted to learn to skin a baby lamb. Um, I don't know. I really like old versions of uh, Pelleprat, the ones with the weird, crazy 60s photos. I really love the Time Life uh, encyclopedia of uh, foods of the, of the world. I think that's an amazing reference. Anyway, I don't know. I could go on and on, and I probably shouldn't. What's the next question? Ask your question, Jack. Oh, yeah. I was uh, Speaking of cookbooks, I tried to cook out of the Zahav cookbook, this Moroccan carrot recipe, and uh, they wanted you to kind of cook the carrots in a... Uh, in a pan with water, just covering the carrots for about 20 minutes, and then you take the carrots out of the water, and they want you to reduce that carrot water into like a syrup. And it said to cook it for about 15 minutes more, and it should turn into a syrup, but it never turned into a syrup. Uh, it just stayed like boiling water, you know? And it stayed the consistency Whoa, I, of water. Yeah, okay, okay, let's get, let's get into this here. So, how do you slice the... First of all, like, what are we talking? What's the ratio of carrot to water? About six carrots in a uh, saucepan, just barely covered with water. So, like, you know, the, you know, just covering the carrots, but six whole carrots. Yeah, but how large. tall was the pan? What's that? How tall was the pan? It was probably, I don't know, six inches deep. Yeah, you see, let's see, I'm looking at it. So, but it was, it was one of those ones that's like roughly six by six, so it was as tall as wide or taller than wide? Oh, no, it was definitely more wide than tall. Yeah, so you're adding probably more water than you would need to um, because you're probably not getting the packing density that you want to get the... So you probably started out with a higher level of water, which in and of itself isn't going to give you problems, except for you probably have to reduce it much more than, uh, than you think. So there's, there's a couple things that are going on. If it's reducing to a syrup, what that means is you've extracted stuff out of the carrots. So if your carrots aren't very flavorful, they're not very sweet, you're not going to have a lot of stuff to extract, and there you have it. So you should be able to taste the water at the end of boiling, and you'll know, <laughs> you know, like, this doesn't have much flavor, so I'm going to have to reduce the, the living hell out of it, right? So in that case, you know, you might have to reduce it. Also, it's, it's impossible to say how many minutes you need to reduce something. Like, uh, if I was going to do this for a bar or, or something, you would reduce it to a particular solid content, right? Like, that's how you make, like, uh, jellies. You know, you, you take things down to a certain bricks level because you need a certain solid content to get the body. You need X percentage of sugar in the water. So, and, and once you get to, you know, so the difference between, like, something that's, uh, let me put it this way, 66% sugar by weight is maple syrup. 82 mm. is honey, right? Uh, 50 uh, is 50% sugar even still pours, uh, you know, almost like water. Uh, do we already talk about whipped cream's pouring like a waterfall? We already talked about pizza, P-I-C-Z-A. Anyway, um, remember that song? Anyway, so uh, it doesn't take that much less sugar in a product to all of a sudden make it uh, much less um, viscous. Did it taste good or no? It tasted fine, yeah. It was just kind of soupy. You know, it was very watery. All right, Bushwick, man. I'm at uh, Borum and McKibben. I want to go towards McKibben, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think that was probably your problem. So it tasted good, but it wasn't syrupy. You just need to reduce it more. Right. Look, they don't know how powerful your stove is. Like, how are you going to tell someone to reduce something for 15 minutes? You yeah. know what I'm saying? I don't know. Like, you know, maybe, maybe I have a – in fact, I do have a stove that's poorly uh, regulated, and I could, I could boil a cow. You know what I mean? Because that's how much energy comes out of my uh, burners. You know what I'm saying? It's like almost like – it's like a wok burner. My regular stove is like a wok burner. So if I crank that sucker, I can reduce it. 
you know, I can reduce anything almost instantly. The problem is you might scorch things. Whereas, you know, you might be in a situation where you have a low-output stove and it could take you twice as long easily to reduce it. So it really needs to be reduced on a consistency. Maybe you should have stuck with it longer. Or maybe you didn't cut your carrots small enough so you didn't get full extraction out. Is that a possibility? That's, no, I think more likely I should have just reduced it for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, because if you're doing a short cook, also, uh, how much is extract? I mean, if you cooked it per the recipe, then presumably you cooked it per the recipe. You know that uh, back in the day, are you a fan of uh, vegetables that are on the crunchy side or vegetables that are cooked through? No, crunchy. Yeah, yeah. So you're extracting less. Like, the crunchier the vegetable is, the less you've broken the stuff down, the less you've extracted out. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. like, if you're, if you're pulling them early, then even no matter what, you're in a situation where you're going to have less sugar than you would otherwise because you haven't extracted as much out. I mean, the Frenchy Frenches, uh, you know, back when I was at the French Culinary Institute, they, when I first started there, everyone was still very, very old-school French. So they would get all pretzel out if you gave them, uh, you know, a crunchy vegetable that, you know, they just say, this is par cooked, this is not, you know what I mean? Like, they were like, it's not cooked. They want it, they want it basically cooked all the way through. Not mushy, but cooked all the way through. Whereas the average American taste now, I think, skews towards um, slightly undercooked. We know Stas likes freaking raw rice and pasta, basically. She's a freaking animal, no, a barbarian. I love vegetables that are completely mushy. Well, how, how is it that you are the opposite of everything always? I love it. <laughs> I'm on more street, people. We're getting close. Let's squeeze in a few chat. Yeah. Ro- I got a few chat room questions. We'll we'll get to. Uh, Elliot wants to know if he grinds nixtamalized corn in a food processor. Will it suck? Uh, will it suck? So, for those of you that like, you know, aren't hip to the fact, nixtamalizing corn is when you treat corn. Uh, with uh, calcium hydroxide, usually treat with other alkali, and it takes on the, uh, the uh, it changes the structure and the flavor uh, and the nutritional properties, actually, of the corn. And when you grind it properly in a, in a nixtamal grinder, uh, you get masa, which is the thing from which uh, corn tortillas are made. Okay, uh, will it suck? And the problem with making uh, nixtamalizing corn uh, is that it's very hard to grind it properly. I now have a grinder I like. I have made it in a food processor. The problem with it is you have to add more water than you should, right? So it'll work. You're going to burn out. The last time I, I did it, I didn't burn it out, but I ran my Cuisinart so hard that it never was quite the same again because you have to sit there and just grind the ever-loving crap out of it until you get the uh, right texture. And you also need to um, – you need to uh, – like I say, add more water. So then sometimes, I'm not saying to do this, but sometimes if it's too watery when you're done, don't add a lot. It takes a little bit of extra water. You can add some solids back in, cheat it back to the right uh, moisture content uh, to get it right. That's what I would do. I have done it. It's not ideal. It's not the best, but it works. And I'm in the studio. All right. Did you ever get the questions up, Stas? Yeah. Okay. And I'm back! Does that sound better? Wow, that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I like how like uh, I was able to get a Beastie Boy reference uh, in there on the, uh, on the way it's in. It's like a magic trick. It is. And here you are. Here I am, in the studio. Wow. 
not just calling in anymore like Incredible. a like a freaking chump. What if one of our callers did this one day? Really, <laughs> just yeah, showed up. I would be really Stas- weird, huh? Listen, if you do, like, I'm not saying don't do this, but Nastasia will probably stab you because she'll assume. Oh yeah, she'll assume that you mean her harm. Right. That'd be like a scene in a scary movie, and like you think it's a bad guy, but it's not. But then she stabbed them anyway, and well, one thing like anyone that knows her knows. Nastasia, not so much a wait and see kind of a lady. You know what I mean? Gut reaction. Not even just gut. It's like, oh, uh, we're we're stabbing this dude now. Okay. You know what I mean? Like you see the beginning of that movie, uh, Three Kings, with uh, Ice Cube and Mark Wahlberg back in the day. Uh, no. You didn't see that? You should see it. It's a good movie. At least I remember it being a good movie. But the point is, is that, you know, Mark Wahlberg sees someone and like, he's like, are we shooting people? You know what I mean? Like, that's how the movie starts. And they're like, yes. And so he shoots the person. Stas is like that. It's like, oh, so that's, that's what's happening. I'm just saying you're likely to get stabbed. If you show up unannounced, Jack won't stab you. I won't stab you. Nastasi will stab you. Not out of hate. Not out of hate. Just instinct. <laughs> Let's take a quick little break so I can get the sponsor message in and you can catch up. All right, we'll yeah. be right back live. This is not an advertisement, I promise. This is not an ad. Cooking Issues listener, you're already cooler than most people for listening to this show. And if you do listen to this show, then you know I'm Jack Inslee, a.k.a. Jackie Molecules, a.k.a. the man behind the booth. I need you to make us look cool against all the other shows. Let's make Cooking Issues the most supported show on the network. $1, $5, $20, $50, really, anything you can afford, please donate today to heritageradionetwork.org. Click on the Donate tab in the top right corner. Send us a note and let us know you came from Cooking Issues. Dave will appreciate it. I will appreciate it. Even Nastasia will appreciate it. I promise. Give something today. Do it. Do it. Give it. Do it. Do it. Right? All right. So should I get to some uh, email questions now that uh, I have the email questions up? Yeah. All right. Okay. I uh, see, see who wrote this in. You know, that was the first question I asked on Cooking Issues ever, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Did I answer it properly? You did. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm so stoked. <laughs> I'm calling again next week. I, I mean, sometimes I meet people at the bar, right? Because people at the bar, like Maggie, say, they're like, they're like, oh, I listen to the show. Oh, you ever ask a question? I'm like, no. I'm like, all right. All right. You don't have to ask a question if you don't want to. Uh, Matthew M. from the Seattle area. I like Seattle area, although I'm angry at the Seattle area now because my cousins are slowly drifting to it. So, you know, I'm losing, like, you know, I've basically lost my entire family dinner kitchen staff now. You know, like, we had, like, the crew, we would crank it out, and, like, one half of the, of the you know, the two brothers you know, that would always come over, Ridge and James, they, you know, Ridge is like, hell with this, I'm moving back to Seattle. And I was like, oh, man. And then, you know, the third brother, Kai, he's like, I'm moving back to Seattle. So then you know James is gone. Yep. Worst. Worst, worst. You know what the sad thing is? Like, you know, look, I'm a New Yorker. I don't know if you know this. I'm a New Yorker. You know what I mean? My son Booker would, he, like, he would murder anyone so that he could stay in New York, probably. I mean, he would definitely, like, throw me off a bridge if it meant he got to stay in New York and not, like, move somewhere else. He would. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't love me. I'm just saying he loves New York more. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think I could, I could deal with Seattle. I mean, I, the weather and the looks and, like, the Pacific Northwest, like, I groove on all that kind of stuff, except for the fact that I'm a New Yorker. 
Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. What are your thoughts on Seattle, Jack? I've never been, but uh, I got a little brother out there, a little half brother living in Seattle. You never visited him? I'm not, not saying. I'm not, say, I'm not saying. I'm not calling you. You know, bad brother or anything. I'm just saying. <laughs> wow. Oh, well. Uh, hey, look, you know. Uh, no, it's one of the few places I haven't been in the country, like that area. I haven't really been to the Pacific Northwest. Have you? Say, so have you been to Portland? I.e., no. Seattle light. Boom. Wow. Boom. No, I'm kidding. I love Portland. Portland's nice. You know, I think Portland, like at some point, like back in the in the '90s and like you know, like 2000, 2001, 2002. I think the Seattle guys were like, we are the supreme leaders of this area. You know what I mean? Everyone else is a fake us, mm-hmm. and I think Portland was like, no. No, I think Portland has the mantle now, right? Like, if you were going to say, what would you think of first? Jack, what would you think of first? Do you think of Portland first or Seattle first? Portland. See? Yeah. But that's a complete reversal. It is. You're right. Like 12. it was all Seattle in the 90s. Seattle, 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 Seattle. Well, yep. And not just because of, you know, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Grunge. Pearl Jam. Yeah, although, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, don't hold on to the past, Seattle, you know. Come back to the future. Yeah, what else do they got? They salmon coffee. They're delicious. And they got all. Of course, they got Nathan Mirvol. They got uh, Chris That's Young, good. Chef Steps crew. They got uh, you know Microsoft. They got a lot going for them. I Chef Steps is in D.C. No, Chef yeah. Steps is in uh, Seattle. Yeah. Well, hmm. anyways, uh, good salmon. Good salmon. Okay, uh, I, I should get to the question. I'm a listener since January this year, and I've worked through most of the backlog. I find the podcast to be an inspiring resource, so thanks for your great work. Uh, one hobby that I picked up through listening to the podcast is homemade liqueurs. You like what do you call it? liquors? Liqueur? Do you say you like liqueur? Liqueur. Liqueur. You, liquor. 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 Booze. <laughs> Met a guy uh, yesterday that smelled like my uncle Ralph. Yeah. Where? Uh, billiard, a billiard place. He's the kind of guy. He's like booze. They're like in the store drinking beer. Place? What? Why were you at a billiard? Oh, outside of my old, uh, where my apartment is. The neighborhood's totally changed, and one of the downtown billiard places was up there. So I walked in because Dax's like, I want to look at the pool table. So I like I go into the pool tables. And I'm like, uh, these gentlemen smell like Michael Ruff. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know that like slightly sweet, like smoke sweet drink, smoke Maybe, sweet, yeah. yeah. New Jersey slash... You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anyways, no one knows what I'm talking about. All right. In that vein, I was looking to experiment with some wood infusions uh, via uh, EC rapid infusion method or steeping as a component for the liqueurs. Uh, my main question is, do you have any advice in general for wood flavor infusion? Uh, E.g. wood format, chunks, chips, dust, spiral... Spi- oh, wait. Ch- uh, chunks, chips, dust, and sp- uh, spirals don't seem good for small scale. Um, all right, I'm going to hit it piece by piece because otherwise I'll go on tangents, right? So uh, wood format – listen, the uh, surface area of wood exposed is in any rapid – in any infusion thing, frankly, the amount of surface area exposed is like super vitally uh, important. So usually the, like, the bigger the piece is, the slower the process, but that also means if you're going to do something quickly, the more controllable the process Right. Also, like sometimes like larger things can skew things um, in different ways. So, for instance, like certain things might extract uh, more slowly um, from the center of a piece of wood, uh, but you might get more kind of uh, 
overall total extraction of everything once the pieces are smaller because everything makes it out into the into the liquor as fast as possible. Does that make sense to mm-hmm. us? So the size is super important. Uh, I would choose for rapid infusion. I usually you want to choose a size that is uh, not too too rapid because you don't want if you have like a, a one minute infusion uh, and then you go like thirty seconds long or twenty seconds short, it's it's ruined. Like I like it's nice to have an infusion time that's like you know three four minutes because then you have like a bigger window. Also, if you make things too fine, uh, it can be very difficult to um, strain the stuff out fast enough, and then while you're straining it, it'll go too too much. That's like coffee is a problem with that, which is why I switched to kind of a coarser grind of coffee than I used to originally, because if your filter clogs, by the time you've gotten it through the filter, and by the way, this is the one thing I hate as much as Nastasia is putting things through coffee filters, right? I, I hate it. I hate it. If there was one thing, there's like a couple things in my life that I'm like, you know what? I don't ever need to do that again. Putting like a bunch of crap through coffee filters, um, drywall. I hate doing drywall. I hate it. I like working with my hands. I like carpentry. Drywall. You like drywall? Taking the stuff off garlic. Oh, I hate that. I don't ever want to do that. You know what the thing is? People come to your house, right? Yeah. And they're like, hey, can I help? Yeah, peel all this garlic. And they're like, no, no. I mean, can I help doing something that I want to do? Yeah. And you're like, what the hell is this? You know what I'm saying? You know, because also, like, you're not going to have them cut something because they're going to mess it up. And then here's the problem with here's the problem with this. I, I'm going to get back to your question. Don't worry. But the problem with this is this: you come to me and you say, "Can I help?" And I say, "Yes, cut this cucumber." And then you cut it wrong, right? Now, maybe I didn't tell you exactly how I wanted to cut, but I did tell you what I was going to use it for, right? Okay. So then. You get mad at me because I have an obvious look of displeasure on my face. Now, I haven't said anything mean to you. I haven't called you a bad person or an enemy of quality or any of these things. I just look at the cucumbers and look sad. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make me bad? I mean, I'm getting better in my, in my old age. Like I'm like, you know what? Because here's the thing, right? Here's the problem when you go to somebody's house and you ask them to do something. You're cutting the cucumbers up and you've mangled it, Right? But once it goes out, you've completely mangled these cucumbers. You've ruined them. All the pieces are all different sizes. They no longer get coated with whatever properly. There's just a freaking nightmare. I don't know. I don't know what the hell you did to them, but you've ruined them. Now, the problem is, is that when the host brings that crap out to the table, what are they going to do? Everybody, Jokomo cut the cucumbers like a chump. It wasn't me. You know what I mean? You can't do that. You have to suck it up and make it look like you're the idiot to cut the cucumbers that way. That's the problem. Maybe this is why your cousins left. No, they know. I've cooked with them for like decades. They know how I want it. They know how I want that stuff. You know? Mm-hmm. All right, Jack, are you with me? You're not with me on this. I can tell you. <laughs> Secretly not with me on this stuff. All right. I'm talking to people in the chat room about browsers. No. So that's the beautiful thing about this new stream. Uh, like it cut out for a second, and then uh, everyone's like, hey, mine cut out. And the other guy's like, well, I refreshed, and it worked. So then yeah, everybody can refresh. It's great. I think browser needs to be it, – like, it's a word that needs to be said in a more highbrow fashion. Browser. Right? Doesn't it deserve – like, ba- it's not like Bowser. Browser sounds like Bowser from Sha Na Na. Remember Sha Na Na? Mm-mm. Man, I'm old. All right. Uh, wood preparation, raw, toasted, uh, charred. Now, listen. Uh, <clears throat> when you're charring like an oak barrel – for instance, let's say you're making whiskey and you're charring an oak barrel. Uh, it, you're getting a surface char, but then it's also extracting stuff out of, uh, you know, it goes through the point all through toasting and, and charring. So, like, if you char small pieces of wood, that's a whole hell of a lot of char. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. Um, but look, it, you know, there are people who all they do all day, all night is thinking about uh, different ways to toast uh, wood. I mean, this is like a field of endeavor that people study like, or, or practice for decades and never get it right. So it's like, you know, I, I would shoot for uh, something that you know you can repeat, right? So I would first try to settle in on a size uh, of wood. And then uh, I would try to figure out uh, kind of some reproducible toasting thing, which is going to be difficult because if, if the moisture content of the wood changes, your, your, your timing will be different. You know what I mean? It's very hard to do it by temperature or by color because it's hard, you know? Anyways. Uh, best solvent, water, alcohol, blend, and temperature. Well, duh, alcohol. But not straight alcohol. Probably alcohol, al- alcohol and water, as we like to call it. Booze. Now, the higher proof that you – I mean like look, different flavors, the alcohol is going to extract a lot faster than the water, a lot of the stuff. And so I, you know, there's an optimum um, there's an optimum kind of extract, but I don't really know what it is. I in general work with um, um, pre-watered booze at like 40, 40. But you know, it depends. If you're using a higher proof stuff, you, you can. But most of the stuff that we operate is somewhere between 40 and 50 percent alcohol. And you'd have to search uh, far and wide to get a higher – but you know, you could go get – this, uh, we use this stuff called Technical Reserve that's made here in Brooklyn. Brooklyn. And uh, it, uh, it's like 95% pure, and it's pretty clean, right? It doesn't smell too much like a hospital. So you can make a tincture with that. We do that sometimes, but it's like extraction. I've done ISI with straight liquor, but, man, you got to watch out because it's some super hardcore. Uh, web resources for food-grade wood and infusion. I can only find uh, oak chips for winemaking and wood pellets for smoking. I'm assuming the woods for smoking and infusion have different safety considerations. The pellets, I wouldn't do the pellets, but like any piece of wood, you know, like you're kidding yourself if you think that they, look, don't use pressure-treated woods. You know what I mean? Like, but like, like, I've used oak from Home Depot. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, just like, yeah, you know, get the surface off of it. It's, it's wood. You know what I mean? It's like, imagine... You know, you go to the store, you buy a cucumber, you go to the lumber yard, you buy some wood. You know what I mean? I, I could be wrong. Someone write me in and tell me that I've just told someone to do something uh, terrible. Uh, are there woods that are generally safe at high extractions? Assuming typical barrel oaks, uh, not sure what else to use, maybe sugar, maples, birch. People, um, I mean, there are people that have done a lot of work with uh, alternate woods. Uh, I, I have not. Uh, I would want to – I mean it depends also on what you believe, right? So there are woods, t- tropical woods that are toxic, but in general like a woodworker would know that. The other question is is like once you start doing infusions, like you could go get um, sassafras uh, wood for instance, right? But it contains saffron. So you may believe that saffron is – well, the, the United States government believes that it's a carcinogen and won't let you put it in the food. You may believe that it's not a problem, in which case you could use it. I don't believe it's a problem. I use it. It's traditional. You know what I mean? But whatevs. Anyway, uh, woods that should be uh, widely avoided due to high risks even at low extractions. I mean the good thing is, like I say, stay away, I would stay away from any sort of like weird tropical toxic wood that you don't know what it is. Stay away from any sort of uh, – any sort of um, – pressure treated or any sort of treated wood whatsoever, any wood that's ever been painted, any wood that's ever been shellacked, any wood that's ever been finished at all under any circumstances, stay away from. I would also say that like a lot of pines uh, will probably not be 100% pleasant on an extraction basis, whereas like some of their resins uh, are, are good, but I don't know that they'd be good from a wood extraction standpoint. Yeah? Yeah? Good? Anyway. Um, 
Second related question, are you aware of common herbs and spices that become dangerous under high extractions? Nutmeg, for instance, uh, could become uh, psychotropic and toxic, though I doubt it would be palatable at that level. It really is. People have to hide it. They mix it in with, I think, peanut butter. Fishbone did a whole uh, song and maybe even a whole section of an album on uh, trying to trip off of nutmeg. You ever done that, Jack? Or do you know anyone that's ever done that? <laughs> no, Whose name might be Backy Bollicules? <laughs> like, uh, like, I haven't. I, you know, I'll tell you if I did. Oh, the thing about nutmeg is, right, I mean, like, nutmeg highs are for, like, uh, like 14-year-olds who, like, are interested in trying something but don't have a source. You know what I mean? So they go into the pantry and they pound, like, you know, nutmegs. We're like, not condoning this. But no, no, you should never do this. This is not smart because the actual thing about nutmeg is, uh, from what I've read, is that the um, – First of all, it's terrible in large quantities. Uh, secondly, uh, I believe that the um, dose line between psychotropic and toxic is very is not very big. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily a safe thing to OD on. You know what I mean? But uh, like I said, if you want to go look up uh, herbs and their effects, there is a whole community. Um, it's I, th- I haven't been to it in a long time. But it's called like Arrowwood or the Vault. It's a place where I used to go to get information on extracting oh, stuff. Oh yeah, that's from- the drug site. Yeah, but those people are fantastic yep. because they've tested every freaking thing. You know what I mean? Like they're like, how do you get the most? Uh, you know. Uh, uh, well, they're interested in psychotropic principles, but how do you get the most stuff out of XYZ herb? And so all these knuckleheads have tried all these uh, solvents. You know what I mean? So, most of them not food grade. And then um, – and you know they've tried anything that anyone has ever said has a psychotropic effect. They have uh, pounded it. Rue is one you should probably also <laughs> stay away from. Uh, not for psychotropic. But there's lots of things. I would get an herbal guide. Uh, plenty of those things have uh, toxicity levels. And in general – oh, Man, I, this list is crazy on the site. Of what? So, Mint, garlic, ginger. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, it's crazy. These guys are like – like there are people who what they do is they sit down in the morning when they get up and they're like, what have I not tried to eat in large enough quantities to mess my brain up and will it do anything? And then they report on it. I mean I think it's a great public service. I don't know. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I support it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, also obviously like um, – uh, spices that are toxic in super high doses, like uh, thujone is toxic in super high doses, and it's very prevalent in like sage extract. I wouldn't pound sage extract. I wouldn't pound clove oil extract. It's an anesthetic. There can be other you – know, there's so things that are high in thujone, things that are high in uh, eugenol. There's, there's all sorts of things. These things aren't meant to be eaten in super high quantities. And in fact, uh, one of the things that you know we were uh, coming across, we didn't make it into the uh, exhibition that the museum is doing, but um, – you know, most of these uh, things are toxic or at least irritants or noxious in super high quantities. So if you want to see what it's like for an insect, the reason insects don't eat mint, take a like a quarter teaspoon of pure mint oil and put that sucker in your mouth. You, you did that with me, right, Stas? Mm-hmm. It is freaking ban- banana llamas. Anyway, what? Time. Wait, we're over? It's one. Uh, all right. Well, sorry about the whole uh, Streets of Philadelphia issue. Uh, I've got propane questions to get to. I've got Wagyu beef. Listen, Wagyu beef. Uh, who wrote that in? 
who wrote that in? Kevin from Los Gatos. I'll answer you more in depth, but listen, you already have the beef, so I have to answer you quickly right now. Listen, listen, listen. The reason you need he had a, he was, by the way, people, what he's doing is he's aging a uh, he's aging a big what does he got? He's got a wagyu, but what does he got? He's got uh, a seven rib uh, a five wagyu beef roast. He wants to dry age it for thirty days, and his fridge that he has it in uh, is running at 55, 50 to fifty five percent relative humidity, and he's wondering does he really need it to get up to seventy or eighty because he doesn't he doesn't he's like I don't care if it if I lose a little more moisture. Because that's um, just more flavor, right? No, 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 no. Get the moisture up. Listen, you're going to case harden. That's what you're worried about. If you go that low on your moisture, you're apt to case harden the outside of the meat, which is not what you want for proper aging. So take a salt pan, old school. Take a, a pan, saturated salt solution. Put extra crystals in the bottom. It should be able to maintain about 80, I think. Someone go look it up for me. Tweet it back on out. We'll get you next week on the cooking issues. <laughs> for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.